Hi everyone, this is JJ Anselmi. I'm the author of Doom to Fail, the incredibly loud history of doom, sludge, and post-metal. And I play drums in a heavy band in Long Beach called Drainage. Today, I'm lucky enough to have uh, Henry Wilson here for a chat. So Henry is a drummer for Floor, which is one of my favorite bands. And uh, yeah, one of kind of the early bands that showed me that heavy music was was for me. And so Henry's playing has always been a big influence. Um, So in addition to being the drummer of Floor, um, he's the kind of all around mastermind of Dove and House of Lightning. So he plays guitar and sings live, and then I guess I'd have to ask him, but I think he writes a lot of the other general parts, or I think he just writes the full songs. But um, yeah, yep, yeah, <laughs> okay, cool, yeah, that's what yeah, I pretty much, yeah, to a certain degree, yeah, yeah, right on. And so the way I always thought about Henry is just as kind of there's these figures in um doom and sludge metal who just kind of like it seems like they have to play heavy music and for lack of a better word i i just think of them as lifers they're just these people who just have to do it it's just part of who they are and henry definitely seems to fall into that category so how you doing henry how's it going in florida today uh uh, doing okay just um you know like the rest of the country um you know, paying attention to what's going on. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I don't know, man, it's crazy. You know, obviously, you know, people are getting a little hysterical. And so I think there's a fine line between just being conscious and then, and, you know, taking care of, you know, wash your hands. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's uh... just common sense, man. Just wash your hands. You know, if you're sick, stay home, you know, but sure. uh, I don't know. You know, I can't really speak about it too much, I guess, other than yeah, yeah. Me uh, I just hope everybody is okay, and that you know, obviously around the world things are getting a little crazy. You know, so um, yeah, it's a fucking tour, tours are getting yeah, tours are getting canceled, and yeah. Uh, but uh, overall, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm, right uh, on. Yeah, doing all right here. It's so, a, a yeah. fucking weird time to be alive. Has there been a um, I know you have a lot of, you know, like obviously friends and stuff from being a touring musician yourself over the years. Has there been any, uh, like what tours have been canceled for any of the people, you know? Uh, well, Torch, uh, I guess was supposed to be in Europe for, God, I want to say until after Roadburn, which I think is somewhere at the end of April. Uh, they were, they were definitely over there. They were supposed to be over there for six weeks. I think they did about three shows, maybe four tops. Um, they, they flew in, I think they did London and then they did a couple, uh, dates in Russia. And then I think they played Athens, Greece. And then I, I, I want to say from the moment they hit the ground, things were getting, you know, like shows were getting canceled. All the Italian shows were first to go. And then, uh, I haven't really talked to them. I just, I mean, just, you know, minor brief stuff like that. I'm sure I'll talk to Rick at some point here, uh, you know, I think they get back in the States maybe even today. Yeah. And okay. so uh, as to where things go with them, you know, whether, you know, there's talk, will they be quarantined? Who knows, man? You know, yeah. it's, it's, man, I don't even know. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't crazy. even think this thing has unfolded as, um, you know, uh, I, it's, it's, it's a strange times we're in, man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's all very, I can really say. Very weird you know, time. Hold on. Y- yeah, man. Just hold on. You know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and so for people who kind of don't know, so Torch is the band that Steve Brooks formed after, or I guess it was kind of 
during floor or was it after floor? No, no. Floor had, uh, we had a, uh, we kind of fell apart in 2003 um, after the end of a tour. Steve had had a loss. uh, His boyfriend uh, had died in a car wreck. And then so uh, life, you know, really kind of just everything went on hold. And then I want to say, man, that was about, it was about an eight or nine month period until Steve felt that he even wanted to start playing again. And, um, and that would have been sometime close to summer 2004. Uh, we kind of got in a room together again. Things were shifting in a weird way though. We had, um, at the time we had already had a different guitar player, uh, a guy drew DeMaio, who was a good friend of ours had kind of, uh, helped us salvage the last couple months of the band. And then, um, but he was back on board, but I think Steve really wanted to add a bass player and, and he wanted Drew to play bass. And then he wanted Juan Montoya, who is, you know, a phenomenal guitar player in his own right to play guitar. Um, I was just in a really different place with it all. And I, I at the time I, I remember, I really just wanted Steve and I to kind of, we had a, a little thing working with relapse or we were in, in talks with them about even just doing like an EP at the time. Mm-hmm. I think they wanted us to do an EP on our own dime. Okay. And then they wanted, and then they were going to front the money for maybe a, uh, what would have been a second record. We had material that uh, I think if the first torch record, I believe is maybe like, like 10 songs. I think eight of those songs were in some kind of form. We were definitely playing a handful of those live before Floor broke up, and so uh, basically, I think you know things started ramping up. I was out playing guitar and singing. I was just in a different place. Um, we got we got together and jammed with uh, myself, Steve, Drew, and Juan just a couple times, and I just couldn't man. I just couldn't get. It. I just couldn't wrap my head on it. And plus, Anthony and I are really close, and it just the whole situation was just really kind of weird and sensitive at that time. And, um, so I just kind of, I, I, I bowed out and then, uh, Steve, I think through Andy Lowe at robotic empire, uh, found about, found out about Rick in Miami. And then they, uh, went on he and Juan and Rick, and then they added John, you know, and then they became torch. Uh, I think it just kind of started a whole fresh thing after, you know, I kind of bowed out and then that kind of closed, the whole door on the floor saga at that time in 2004. So uh, our, our last show back then was in, I want to say late August of 2003. And then we didn't play again until March of 2010, as far as any live capacity. So, um, and, and so you were, uh, so you were doing a uh, dove at that point in time, right? I was actually doing dove even way before all that. Okay. Uh, I was doing dove, I recorded stuff under the Dove name probably in 1998 on my own. I did like a demo with um, Steve Heritage, who was the guitar player and later singer for uh, the band Asuk, and he was a good friend of mine. And so he worked at Morris Sound Studios in Tampa, and uh, he kind of enabled me to kind of explore a little bit. So I went in and I tracked a couple songs where I did all the drums and bass and guitar and singing and all that. And then... um, about a year and a half later, I kind of put together an actual lineup. That would have been about summer of 2000 is when Dove actually had a lineup. And so, um, yeah, Dove was active during the whole time uh, between yeah summer of 2000 until summer of 2005. And then, we, I mean, we did a lot of touring. We did actually more touring than Floor did uh, and played played out a lot more than Floor did actually during that period. So Yeah. So how would you describe the difference between um, 
Floor and Dove. I mean, I I guess obviously you're playing different instruments, but the the sound. I'd say yeah, I don't know. Uh, is, is Dove a sludge band? Could, I'm not sure. No, not really, man. Um, it's a little more aggressive, I would say, in a certain sense. Like yeah. I really like, um, and maybe a little tech edge, at least where it was going. Um, I mean, our, our our record has a the the one full link that we did had a little taste of that little switches here and there, little things that kind of throw it. I don't necessarily, I probably could have played drums on some of the early Dove material, but as the band was progressing, um, I tend to play guitar. I don't like, uh, my skill set with, with drums is, you know, kind of what you see is what you get with floor. And I, and I try to push the envelope with that more in the feel and just, uh, certain placements and stuff like that. But as far as like, super you know like i don't have double bass chops i can't play double bass and stuff like that so i tend to think as a guitar player much different than i do as a drummer um with floor it just kind of happens that uh man i don't know that's just my feel (laughs) you know and it kind of it's always clicked from day one with steve and anthony you know if they throw a riff i was always able to kind of jump on it as a drummer and uh but yeah as far as a guitar player i tend, tend to lean a little more uh the chops are a little more not to say the other guys couldn't play this stuff, but it's just a little more, there's a lot more going on as a guitar player. Uh, I, I came up on uh, a certain, not, I didn't like not a prog rock kind of thing by any means. I've never really studied. I've only taken a couple lessons, you know, but I tend to, uh, I like things to, to move and, and just surprise. I like little surprises and stuff without it seeming like contrived or anything. Like I'm not into like, like you know the whole new wave of sh- shred eight string guys and all that that's that doesn't really appeal to me you know there's no real song craft there for me or anything but i love rush i love stuff like that you know so i guess maybe from what i grew i, I like i love alex lifeson as a guitar player so that probably filters through a little bit probably you know stuff like that but um yeah, so they're they're very they're they're really different uh, to me. They are. I mean, I think maybe in the early stuff back then, it's been such a long time. Um, if there was any carryover in tones, and maybe because we kind of shared amps, and also, um, you know, things and become a little bit of an influence. Obviously, who you're around and stuff. But uh, I think a lot of it was just people finding their chops. You know, my, my John, my old drummer. Um, his chops developed between the five years that we played together. I mean, they went, you know, from zero to a hundred, you know, it was really wild, especially around 2002, 2003. Uh, he started developing really fast. And uh, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's that yeah, different yeah. kind of precision with the dove and um, yeah, the changes, like you said, and the the drumming, it always struck me on that, on the full length. When I first heard it, I was like, Jesus, who is this dude? It's, it's one of those rare, like, you know, like some kind of like super fast drummers, like death metal and grindcore aren't very good at playing heavy. And then a lot of heavy, sure. heavy yep. drummers aren't good at playing fast, but he's one of those rare ones who, who does both with just like so much power. Yeah. 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 Definitely. He, um, he's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, we could go deeper into it, I guess, if you want. But uh, yeah, he's uh, no, he's he's yeah, he can handle it for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, I, yeah. Oh, so I think uh, with Doom, I mean, yeah, as Doom and Sludge as a drummer, I always um, you know think about it from that perspective, and I think it gets kind of written off pretty easily. 
especially with like the I've thought a lot more in like recent years about like the idea of like playing behind the beat and what that even means or if that's even a, like a thing or like you know just that kind of like there's some like yeah. weird laziness or something and I really took a lot of it from like Bill Ward and stuff but then when I started listening to your stuff it, it's like it's it's on beat but it's like it just makes everything a little bit bigger so I was wondering if you could kind of describe that um i let's see well i'm not trained at all and yeah. I, you know and i kind of just took things from other drummers i would see here and there um mostly though i would say probably the biggest influence as far as you know like coming from teen years and this was before this was this would have been easily you know probably six or seven years before i even decided like I wasn't, I didn't start out as a drummer. I learned to play drums first, but it was never like a thing like, I'm going to be a drummer. I literally just learned it out of, out of, out of strictly utility, you know, to, to understand um, how to, you know, relay ideas to people and stuff like that. Uh, let me think. I would say really that the first person I saw play like in that sense, and I mean, I had an appreciation for all musicians even before I played an instrument and stuff like that. But um, I, it comes back to Dale Croper. I mean, I saw um, saw the Melvins twice, uh, pretty early on. Uh, I was 16 when the Bull, when Bullhead came out and the tour came through Tampa. That would have been, um, I think, around October of 1991, and I had never seen or heard anything like that. I saw them play in a room with about five people in Tampa, and it absolutely just i had already been seeing tons of bands and going to shows for a, a, a time period you know a pretty good period before i saw them but they seemed like they were just dropped in out of the future i didn't understand anything that i was seeing all i knew was that it was devastating loud it was right up my alley uh right before i got into the Melons, i was really into that band fang uh uh the two records uh land shark and where the wild things are and uh, I was really, really kind of into their uh, approach, and um, and it just was an idea that oh, you could be a punk rocker and play slow stuff, you know. I don't, I don't know. I was just into it, you know, and it kind of appealed to my rock and roll side a little bit. And uh, but yeah, I would say Dale uh, specifically, the four-piece drum setup. Uh, his his kit was probably the first one that I really took notice of and, and studied, even as I was playing guitar, and um, kind of encouraged other people that was around me you know that that were around uh, that played drums i was like you got you should just play like this <laughs> you know <laughs> um, sure. uh, i i did man i don't know I, I had a drummer for some years between 92 and 98 in a band that i was in um here locally uh, a guy named mark bowman and mark bowman was uh, he studied dale um we saw we i saw the moments in october 91 and then they came back around and played um Lysol wasn't out, but they played a lot of the material from Lysol at a venue in Orlando. Um, and that would have been in, I think, about May of 92. I was still in 11th grade. And, you know, th those those years are really formative for anyone, you know. And so, uh, but I felt like that, I don't know, man, I just felt the Melvins were just future. They were the future then. They were future music. And they weren't, they weren't really wrapped up in some stylized thing, you know, like, um you know, I man, I don't even know how to really describe that feeling of just like this is the new shit. 
<laughs> you know, like that's all, that's the only way I could really put it, you know, I mean, cause a lot of punk rock stuff, you know, is obviously, even if it's a new band, there's, there's a certain stylistic thing there that, you know, you can follow the lineage through all that, you know, whereas the Melvins, I don't know the first time I saw them, I could not put my finger on, I mean, I could hear some of the influences maybe, but it was still like, you know, I mean, I, and I think I was even surprised, you know, like when I would see things and they would say like, no, we're not really into that band, you know, stuff like that. So uh, I've learned a lot about them over the years. Joe, Joe Preston and I have been friends for a couple decades now. And um, on occasion, you know, we'll, we'll speak about, you know, his era in the band and go into some details about some things. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh excites my inner teen self still <laughs> when I talk to him about that stuff. So That's awesome. Yeah. You know. I mean, to yeah. a kind of maybe a casual listener, like um, if you listen to Gluey Porch Treatments, I mean, it's it's slow and heavy and I mean, I guess it's metal. And so I guess like some people could maybe listen to that next to maybe even like the song Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath and say that it's kind of the same thing, but it's really not. Like, how would you describe that difference? massive difference i guess uh tonality maybe you know close to being the same uh gluey portrait events was a massive influence uh mm. huge uh, I, I i could put it on right now i mean there's not a bad song on it yeah um and considering i think they recorded that in 1986 that just feels insane it does, it really <laughs> because does. the song structure just the playing on i mean there's a couple songs and they're still like man what is the count on this thing i know um you know, it's not like time signatures or some kind of dream theater stuff or anything, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's just, it just comes with this barrage of switches and changes, but somehow it all flowed. They were definitely on a wave, man, that it's really that first, I'd say six years, you know, probably between 86 and 92. Um, I don't think they, um, man, I don't even know where, where <laughs> it really just felt like they were on to something every record was getting crazy you know better and or not better but just more intense and more intense and when they hit Lysol I was like how far where can they go next you know how where does it go from here and so playing on Lysol I'd say as far as on my, my own if we can get maybe revert back to the original question about drumming uh, I would say Lysol definitely uh, had a huge effect um, even just down to, to tone and um in a certain kind of feel and um i mean even just uh symbol overtones like i like pasty symbols a lot you know um there's a certain ring about the 2002s that uh, i felt kind of uh, it's kind of what i hear when i listen to those records i don't necessarily think that's what dale played back then or he may have i can't really remember i remember him having a rude symbol once when i saw him um yeah uh, uh, man as far as the difference between black sabbath and um Melvin's maybe just um, like I'm sure the Melvins could play a Black Sabbath song and not, and and Black Sabbath as amazing as they were. I don't know if they could play something off Gloria Porch Treatment. Yeah, <laughs> you that's know? Or if they would have the patience to actually sit down and learn something, even though some of those songs are about a minute, a minute and a half long. Yeah. I don't know if they would. You know what I mean? Like it's it's. Um, I don't think the Melvins are so blues based. Yeah, I think maybe sure. if we want to get down to it. Whereas Black Sabbath obviously were, you know, they I mean they considered themselves a blues rock band or what, you know, they were as far as that kind of label. Um, as a lot of the English bands back then fancied themselves being blues men, you know. I don't, you know, I don't, I could never imagine 
any member of the Melvins being like, yeah, man, the blues are really our biggest influence. <laughs> like, you know, I, I could see them saying something, you know, like Black Flag and other weirder stuff, you know, but um, I don't know. I think they surpassed all that. Yeah. <laughs> At least during that time period for me. Yeah. So, I think that's, a, uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. a perfect way to think about it. That like, if Melvins wanted to, they could cover Sabbath um, but then if Sabbath wanted to, yeah, I think you're right. I think if they tried to cover Melvin's, it it would just, it would not be right. They, or they would just not want to, they would not be interested whatsoever. They might not even be interested. Yeah. I've always said that, uh, cause the Melvin's obviously have thrown, you know, tons of covers out there during their time. Um, I always say, you know, if the Melvin's get a hold of your song, that's it. That's their song. Now. That's what <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, that's a wrap. Yep. You know, like they, they just took your song and that's about how it is, you know? So, yeah. Um, it's like Jimi Hendrix that way. And like straight up, Jimi, straight up. Yeah. You yep. do not want Jimi Hendrix. Like if it, all the songs he covered were, they just became Hendrix songs and then you can listen to the original. Yeah. They're his songs. Yeah. And yeah, I'm like, his songs now. It, like, <laughs> the, yeah, I'm just like, why would you ever? And then it's the same thing with like people trying to cover Hendrix, I guess this is a bit of a tangent, but I've never seen anybody do it well. Yeah, maybe Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, yeah. maybe, you know, he did Little Wing, a pretty cool version, you know, but I think it was all instrumental. And, but uh, I'm I'm not a, the biggest authority on, on I, I, anything I ever see by him playing live. I'm like, man, that guy is it, you know, but I've never been like, uh, I don't own any Stevie Ray records or anything like that. I definitely can give him props, though, that uh, on occasion, if I see a live video, I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he's got it. Yeah, you know, for sure. So. You say it like that first time seeing Melvin's, it sounds, it was just like, this is the music for me. And I, re I really remember having that feeling like listening to I Hate God of like the first, like I, I knew kind of before then I'd been messing, I I'd played drums and stuff. But when I heard I Hate God, it was like, dude, this is what you're going to do. Like, this is, this is the music you're going to play. It just felt like it was reaching yeah. out toward me. So what was it about Melvin's? Yeah, oh, def definitely the Melvin's. Uh, I had just started playing guitar around the first time I'd seen them. And so, um, and I was just kind of trying, I, at the time I was, you know, just figuring out who am I as a guitar. I mean, I was only 16. So, but, I, you know, the things I'd been exposed to at that time were, um, you know, like I liked a lot of uh, uh, Revelation record stuff, you know, Youth of Today, things like that. Um you know, some of the, um, God, I have to, I love TSOL, you know, I was really into TSOL, uh, still am, um, at least like the first couple of records. And I, man, I don't know, but my skill set wasn't up to par that to really play anything like that. I felt at the time and I don't know why I know the first time I saw the Melvins, um, uh, it was about a week later. I saw a black Les Paul. This was during Buzz's Les Paul years. And so, uh, I was in a music store here in town, and uh, I saw a black Les Paul custom and it was so ingrained in me that that would have to be the guitar that you needed to make that kind of thing happen. It was really just the energy of it, even though, the, the, you know, and, uh, it, the crowd, there wasn't a crowd there. It wasn't really a receptive audience by any means. You know, uh, it was more some dudes were just kind of stunned, uh, but it was. I don't know, man. I just kind of saw the road open up and I was like, that's me. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, what sure. I want to do. <laughs> you know, as a guitar player, I felt that as a drummer, it came, the drumming stuff all really came later for me. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I kind of felt that and 
just wanted to be part of that energy. You know, I had I'd, I'd already been in a couple bands prior to that, you know, and trying to make things happen, but they were always in some kind of different, you know, you're, you're a kid and you're trying to figure it out, you know, and, um, like I really like Jerry's kids and stuff like that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of that kind of stuff, you know, um, I don't know, man, when I saw them, I felt like that it was very much of the time. Whereas a lot of the stuff, the punker stuff I was listening to was, you know, it was already at that time, it might've been, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, you know, which when you're a kid that that's an eternity, <laughs> you know, now it seems like nothing, but you know, uh, then, you know, the Melvins were putting out records that were recent records, you know, um, I don't know, man. They, they were on some kind of wave then that was, and the three of them, especially when Joe was in the band, it, it had a really certain weight, a certain kind of weight to it that it, I mean, they were my Led Zeppelin is kind of how I can put it. You know, they were the, I felt the most important thing going on. Each member had a certain identity uh, that really just resonated off of each person, even though I didn't really know much about them, you know, and they were obviously still very much of an underground act. And I've, I don't know, it's just what I felt. I think Steve Brooks and I have kind of the same story. He actually saw the Miami date of that same tour the night before I saw the Tampa date. And he and I's stories pretty much are the same, <laughs> even though he had been playing guitar for a little while and was already, but it was kind of the same thing, which was, you know, like it was really a thing that, you know, there was a kind of a before Melvin's and after Melvin's came on that tour. And then, you know, and so um, just the energy, man, I don't know, you know, <laughs> some wild awesome. stuff, you know, they had it, you know. Yeah. Um, you were a BMX kid for, were you a BMX kid before you were a musician, right? Yeah, I I got my first bike, uh, what we would call a, you know, traditional 80s freestyle bike uh in this uh christmas of 1985 and uh I, I was 10 years old i was almost 11 my birthday's in january so i turned 11 in january and um i had seen just a couple months prior to that christmas uh I was at like a local high school football game. It was just kind of, I lived in a small town and uh, here in here in Florida. So it was the kind of thing to do, you know, it was more of a social setting. I was never into football. It was just, you know, where you go and hang out and see girls and, you know, all the stuff it was either that or the skating rink, you know? And so, um, but I saw uh, my lifelong friend, a guy named Enos Torres, who uh, we're still, you know, that's my family to this day. And, uh, he had been riding for a certain for maybe a year or two at that point uh but i saw this guy pull up on this you know this bike with you know he had like skyway mags and pegs and he's doing hopping tricks and again it was one of those things i was like man this guy looks like he just dropped out of the future like what is this what am i watching i could not wrap my head around it i i mean i knew about racing and things like that and it was kind of a local track but as far as like freestyle like I had I didn't even know that there was some kind of subgenre of it, you know, or anything. I, did, I had no clue that this whole thing was existing and and really starting to pick up steam, and especially in the United States. And um, and so I asked for a bicycle. So I had a bicycle, and I was trying to like just emulate the few tricks that I had seen Enos do, and I didn't really know any real tricks or anything other than you just stand in these pegs and you kind of hop and do this stuff, and then maybe. Four or five months later, the movie Rad came out, which, uh, you know, hey, man, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a product of that age. And so um, I actually went to the theater and I saw Rad and, oh, man, that was it. And then I think even a couple months after that is when I found um, 
my first issue of uh, Freestyling, you know, the, the, the magazine that, that used to be in the 80s. I found it at a gas station, and th- that was it. I mean, I scoured that magazine. And um, so I rode, I mean, it was a daily thing for me um, from, you know, from early 86, late 85 until uh late 1991 and about the same time i saw the melvins i'd actually broke my wrist the guy a guy named tim randall who was my first real guitar mentor uh we were at a a high school girlfriend of mine's party and he jumped off of a trampoline and landed on me and it broke my wrist and um after that i really couldn't even hold on to a pair of bars for like a couple years like uh, my wrist is actually still kind of crooked and offset on my left hand and um it it just stopped everything i tried to ride a little bit after that and i just couldn't i couldn't catch up you know i couldn't uh my my hand i literally couldn't like hold on very well so all my strength was gone in it for a long time and uh it just kind of ended my bmx stuff but uh guitar was pretty easy still you know It, it actually took a couple months but uh you know, I started firing back up on guitar and then it just, all the energy that I had in Flatland, which is mostly what was my deal. I wrote everything, but Flatland was really the deal for me. Um, the same mindset and, you know, the independence and just the, the creative spirit of it. Um, a lot of that just, uh, I can see a direct line from uh, the mindset that I had as a teenager and what I felt that I was putting into writing went right, right into music, you know, as um you know, during that transition, um, had I not broken my wrist though, I don't know if I would have, uh, went into music as hard as I did. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I might've probably, honestly, I probably would have stayed on the bike. I remember thinking that, um, when I was 17, that I was, it was right before I turned 17. And I remember thinking that when I turned 17, I was going to try to, um, I was buckling down and riding every day, mostly by myself at that point, you know, my circle had kind of fallen off. Um, Earlier that year, uh, I'd lived with uh, Chase Glenn for a while. Uh, he had lived here uh, with me and my mother in a, in a rental house. And uh, so I was, I was fired up, man. <laughs> I was dead serious and fired up and spent days and hours and hours and hours every day in a parking lot spinning circles, you know. And so, um, you know, those, uh, I felt maybe when I was 17, I, I was kicking around the idea of you know going pro but whatever that really meant at that time you know the the sanctions were all falling apart there was no really organized thing i think hoffman was just starting to fire up the the bs series at that time uh i was kind of after i broke my wrist i was kind of exiled though like um i i was already kind of on my own here anyway but uh you know if you're not out riding with your people and and you know this is pre-social media or any kind of thing and I also man my mom and I moved around a lot and so I just I kind of lost contact with a lot of people over the years you know and uh, it didn't take long you know during that little 16 17 year old window and um, that community that I had in that mostly all just moved over to um, other musicians okay so yeah I love the uh, when you're describing like seeing somebody with a or like the first real freestyle bike you saw it sounded a lot like you were describing the Melvins and I always thought and I had that super similar experience of like something about BMX and sludge especially just go really really well together and that's how I found out about sludge so and 
I was just kind of like wondering what that what that is. And I know, you know, we're not alone. Like you, you you're saying, you know, you're friends with some pro BMXers, uh, Chase Hawk and Trey Jones, who both I know also love like sludge metal. Sure. And so I, I've always wondered, like, what is that connection? Man, I think it's kind of like, in, you know, like um, maybe it's just, you know, now it's a little more accessible uh, in that sense. But I know in the late 80s, um, I learned a lot about music through other writers, uh, you know, and a lot of um, that 87, 88, 89 window of hardcore, uh, that stuff was really permeating the BMX scene, uh, namely, at least in Florida, it was. Uh, I got to give a lot of uh, credit due to um, a dude named Jerry Smith and another guy, Tyson Godfrey. They were like flatland gods of the state. Um, they were really into, you know, like they would show up at the contest and their contest run would always be something like uniform choice or something like that, you know. And so, um, you know, it was pretty like, you know, I would I would hear it and be like, man, what, what was that? What did you ride to? Uh, I actually got into seven seconds that way through a dude named uh, Bob Walters. Um, I had heard him before, and then after one of his contest runs, I walked over to him and was like, man, what did you ride to? And he just gave me the tape. It was a walk together, rock together on a cassette. And he's oh, like, here, amazing. man, it's this. Yeah, and I think I would have been about 12 or 13 when that happened, you know, so. Yeah, it's that, there's a, yeah. some kind of energy that like punk and yeah. rawness, I guess. Yeah, and I think the thing is too now, you know, as far as with the sludge and doom thing, you know, those those are the bands that are happening now. You know, I mean, there's obviously other bands too, but um, that just seems. Uh, I don't know, man. I really can't describe that. <laughs> I really don't know. Uh, it's hard to really pin that, other than it's all just you know the evolution of everything and how it all ended up that way. And um, and I think a lot of it may depend too on certain. I know with Chase, he lives in Austin, you know, and obviously Austin has a music scene. Uh, and you know, there's been tons of bands in and out of there. Uh, you, you lived there for a while, I believe, too. So, um, you, know, you know, there's uh, touring bands coming through, you know, and then you got a group of friends, and it, you know, and then there's not to say there's always like one figurehead, but there tends to be like somebody who's like, you know quote unquote, you know, he's got a lot of influence, you know, and so that, you know, and then it turns the other people on and, you know, next thing you know, you got a click and then there's a scene and then, you know, and your life kind of revolves around your social life, you know, even revolves around that even. And so, uh, you know, it's how you identify, you know, things like that. You know? Yeah, for um, sure. I have to kind of put myself back in that mindset a little bit, you know, <laughs> like, like, um, so, I was curious about uh to kind of switch gears what's one of the uh worst I I love asking musicians about the worst shows I've ever played. And so what's one of the worst <laughs> <laughs> worst shows you've ever played? I mean, you know, I've played tons and hundreds of shows, you know, to non-receptive audiences. Uh, only a couple times where things kind of got a little weird. Uh Floor opened up for Mortician one time in Orlando. And uh, the show was sold out. It's a place called The Social. And I want to say at that time, The Social was structured a little different. I think it held about somewhere between like maybe 400 people, somewhere around there. And um, so we come out, we start our thing. I think we probably at that time, you know, we always opened up with the first song on the self-titled Scimitar. The record wasn't even out yet. I think we were we had just finished it, but um, we may not have even sent it to the label by that point. So um but we I think we got on stage we went to play we we opened up with the song scimitar 
And then, you know, we, we think we're the shit, we're doing our thing, you know, we're feeling ourselves. We were, we were feeling ourselves pretty well back then. <laughs> and so uh, we finished the first song and then literally the whole crowd, uh, we hear this chant. And I'm like, what the hell is that noise? And I realized that the whole audience is yelling, you suck, you suck, you <laughs> suck over and over. <laughs> and um, this is kind of where the inner fortitude of, uh, if there was one example, I will say the Melvin set was that sometimes people aren't really going to get what you're doing and you just have to really just do you. And if people aren't into it, then, you know, you fuck it. You know, you just got to do it, <laughs> you know, whether like, like who, you know, it, it's not, I'm not antagonistic of a crowd. I love, I love when people, you know, it's to me, it's an energy thing, especially, you know, and it's not the easiest thing to play to people who don't like you, you know, or who are very vocal about not liking you. Uh, also going, growing up and going to shows in Tampa, you know, you, you kind of, Tampa was a hard, hard city on bands, especially if you weren't liked. I mean, man, it, it is all, few bands get run off the stage you know i mean it was always yeah really it was pretty real so um it didn't really phase me too much i remember though the song ended and the crowd's chanting you suck and we just kind of looked at each other and we just kind of laughed and i want to say the rest of the set we just kind of lurched into um all the really crazy bomb string stuff at like like half the speed i mean we just decided okay okay we're not going to win them over anyway so let's just really just destroy this whole night and so um we pushed it pretty hard down to the floor or no pun intended and uh i remember we got off we went to get off stage there was just some weird static from a couple of dudes hanging by the stage and the place was packed it was kind of disorienting and then uh i remember i took my cymbals off stage they were still in the stands and i set them off side stage went to grab the rest of my drum kit and uh, when i came back somebody had taken a um like a big Sharpie marker and wrote, you suck across my symbols, <laughs> you know, which I was like, you know, my, my, my reaction, man, you know, I was in my twenties and I was like, who the fuck did that? You <laughs> yeah. know, like I was, I was like, you know, somebody, you know, step up, you know, for real, like we were, we were a little aggro at times. And so, um, you know, that, that was okay. That happened to us a few times. Um, as a guitar player, man, I've generally always got by, you know, I never really had it. Dove never really had any bad show. I mean, you know, he played a lot of shows to no one. We never really had any real issues or anything. Floor definitely had, um, uh, there's probably a few more that I really can't remember. We opened up for darkest hour one time in Tallahassee. And it was, again, it was a massive show. There's probably 400 kids there. And by the end of the first song, they didn't sit there and tell us we sucked. They just turned around and walked out. Like literally kids were just standing there at the front of the stage with their backs turned to us. And then and then 75% of the audience just walked out of the venue. And uh, I remember being like, damn, that was harsh. And uh, I do remember the singer for Darkest Hour, though, kind of um, cutting loose on the on their own crowd about that, though. He said something about, you know, that they were pretty lame for doing that to us. And so, um, but you know, it, had that happened to me in my teen years, I might've been a little more sensitive about it. Um, maybe not though. I was really headstrong and stubborn. And if there's one thing riding, you know, BMX and flatland spending, you know, months at a time by yourself in a parking lot, you know, you really become kind of, a um, you know, insular, <laughs> you know, everything becomes like, you, you kind of have an inner fortitude that's just, well, I'm just doing me, you know? And so, um, yeah. I wish uh, I wish I could see footage of that Mortician show. 
Oh, man, <laughs> I think I have a picture or two from it, but there's no, yeah, I, you know, this was obviously pre, you know, smartphone, everybody had a camera, you know, kind of days. And so, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I, I would, I mean, we've had, you know, there were shows where we drove, I remember we played Long Beach one time. Uh, no, not, maybe it was Long Beach. Oh, God, I'm trying to remember the video out there. This was in 2003. Maybe, uh, yeah, it was either Long Beach or Huntington. And I want to say, and I remember we, we, we played, I think with Graves at Sea, and nobody showed up except these two kids who, who um, they approached us and they basically asked us not to leave. Like, because we were sitting here like, they were like, man, please play. Yeah, I remember that. I remember one kid begging, he didn't beg us, but he was like, you know, please play, please don't leave because there's no one here. And we were like, we're not leaving then. <laughs> like, like, we were doing this, you know, we, we, we did whole tours where, you know, if we played to more than like five people, it was kind of a successful night. We did have one, one weird El Paso night where, uh, they, uh, we were about two songs in and the people who ran the, the venue actually called the cops on us while we were on stage playing so like we're in we're in the middle of a song and i look over and these like two or three cops walk in and they just walk right up to the front of us and they just make the signal to like turn that shit off you know and we were like i'm sorry what's going on they just you gotta go and what so we fuck? just backed up and let left el paso they caught they call the cops on their own venue <laughs> yeah yeah i'm what still not sure what all that was about <laughs> it was just a weird whole night was really weird it was uh, some local kids booked us at a local bar and uh i don't think the people who ran the bar then i don't think they were uh, i don't think they knew what they were getting into when they agreed to let the, the kid the quote-unquote promoter you know oh, do sure. the shows so. yeah so uh um i got one last question for you and it's uh sure. do, do you have any advice um for young kids who are interested in uh trying to play heavy music hmm uh man just stay at it and try to evolve you know if you're really feeling it just keep going you know persevere uh if you're playing with someone who feels like they're dragging their feet and they don't really want to be there don't waste your time with that you know if that's one thing i learned is don't waste your time with people who you know that they're either just it depends what your agenda is if you just want to get together with the bros and throw down some you know just hear your own self play and your amps then do that, you know, but if you have a bit of an agenda and you, you feel that you want to do stuff like you, you, as an artist, you know, like you, you want to, you know, not necessarily say something, but you want to make a statement. And that statement would be, you know, you want to record, you want to make a record, you know, you want to go see stuff. You, you want to, um, not really for acceptance outside of anything, but just for your own sense of accomplishment. Um, do that. Try not to get wrapped up in trends uh that is if there's anything that i see in in doom and and in the quote-unquote sludge scene is um and i think it leans there's kind of almost like an archetype with it now you know what i mean like um and i was even kind of adverse to that i remember the first time i even heard the term stoner rock um cavity played a show in alabama and this kid came up and he was talking to anthony and i and he was like um something like oh you guys play stoner rock and i swear to god like we looked at him we were like what the hell did you just call this stuff <laughs> like i'd never even heard the term you know it was so far out of my wheelhouse you know it was like 
really? Like, oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, um, wasn't really into the stylistic stuff, it, you know, that, um, and I wasn't really into a lot of the, the throwback imagery that tend, tends to happen with a lot of the bands, you know, where, I mean, I like Black Sabbath a lot, but the idea that like a lot of bands base themselves off that, that look in the amps, they have to play like, you know, a specific kind of amp and they have to have that kind of look and the vest and, you know, and, and the orange amps. And I mean, I can't hate on somebody for, you know, if that's really what, if they're into that, you know, but um, there, there's almost seems to be like a, a style model for it to a certain degree. Uh, I, 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 I like sleep a lot as a band, but I will say that when I bought Holly Mountain in 1993, um, man, I couldn't get past the hippie vibe of it. Um, even though the song, the songs were cool and all, but I just, the imagery of it all, it was kind of like, it was a little too retro, I think was the thing. And, um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, as far as advice, I, I don't know. Uh, just go, go hard, you know, don't have no half stepping. If you're going to do it, you know, and you're really feeling it, then do it. Don't listen, you know, only listen to your inner self. If you feel what you're doing is absolutely worthwhile, then it is. Um, don't be discouraged if, if you're not accepted or people don't fawn all over you. Um, you just find that inner peace within yourself and find your own happiness. Um, you know, those things tend to come later with more introspection, you know. But, uh, uh, yeah, I guess that's about, you know, as, as well as... Um, maybe the best advice, just be real, you know, uh, no half stepping and be real and, you know, and be, and be, you know, kind and polite, you know, manners will get you a long way. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, uh, I'll leave a bunch of bands in name, but there's a handful that were, uh, you know, I guess, you know, not everybody in rock and roll is supposed to be polite, but there kind of comes a line where it's like, man, you just straight up, some people can be just straight up degenerates, you know, and, and so, you know, it's, it, there's a few, you know, I could throw a few under the bus, you yeah. know, but I, I won't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think you and I may have discussed that privately once or twice, yeah, for <laughs> you, sure. know? you know, but, um, yeah, just, just do you. Yeah. You know? That's super solid. I yeah. love that. And yeah, you've really lived yeah. up to it of just, there's so much to be said for just being a nice a nice person and being genuine from my experience when I stopped trying, trying so hard is like when it's just like, Oh yeah, it just feels very natural. And I feel yeah, like just be a good person. Yeah. The people yeah, that just, you find around yourself, yeah, stand up for yourself. Yeah. You know, for that's sure. the advice I would say, you know, stand your ground, stand up for yourself, you know, don't let people walk all over you. Yeah. Uh, but you know, be a nice person, be courteous, you know, allow others for, you know, be, and be a little free with it. You know, if somebody kind of throws an idea that you're like, yeah, I don't really know. Don't, you know, um, that took me a little time to kind of learn, but I think that comes with playing with people with, with a certain kind of confidence. Um, uh, house of lightning kind of runs like that now. Like I tend to literally just, I'll construct what I think is the song of the guitar work and the vocal stuff. And, uh, and then I just let Eric and Rick, you know, I mean, we haven't played together in a little while now, but you know, uh, when we were, going you know hot on it that's kind of how it worked it was like everybody if everybody's confident they know what they're doing but it, you know it takes time to get to that level and um i still don't miss i mean I, I i am a be your own worst critic i could say that you know don't destroy yourself but you know be self-analytical and you know if you feel you fell a little short try to sit back and be like hmm, 
you know, how, you know, uh, really it just comes down to just try to just be real, man. Try to make, you know, quality, good music and stuff that at the end of the day you feel like, um, you know, that, that you can feel good about. Like that's what you spent your time of your life churning out, you know? Yeah. Shit that you actually want to hear that you would, yeah, sure. you would be yeah. psyched on if that's, that's one gauge I always try to have is like, if I saw this band, you know, and I wasn't in it, like, what would I honestly think? And yeah, yeah. as I get yeah. older, I'm like, yeah, I would think sure. this is fucking, I'd be super stoked. Then I'm like, yeah. well, then that's good yeah. enough. I don't, then fuck it. And any other reaction yep. is whatever. As long as there's yeah, that I love I, I love floor before I joined floor. Fuck like yeah. I was I was yeah. I mean even the fact that I haven't played drums with them kind of just came about by default um, because they were in between drummers and I was like, man, I could do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, and then it just became that's it became what it became, you know. But uh, yeah, I was a fan, you know, and so I could see it outside of me being in the band. I could see the band from the outside still to a certain degree, and so. Um, yeah right on henry well uh thanks so much for the time today and yeah it's always a pleasure man but yeah we'll, yeah uh, yeah hopefully uh is uh, yeah i had a good time yeah hopefully it uh, fulfilled whatever <laughs> needed to be done oh for sure <laughs> yeah, yeah super helpful i don't know i don't really know say thanks yeah it was super fun for me um yeah it's it's uh it's always kind of fun to sit back and kind of think about some of the stuff like this you know and try to you know, contemplated a little bit, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, it was a pleasure as always, Henry.